Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, A good friend of mine was a high school basketball coach for years in a, a mostly white Iowa town. Uh, but one year they changed the boundary, uh, the boundary lines and they started busing in some black students. And my friend soon discovered that he had a number of very talented black players on his team. So one year he started four black guys and one white guy. And oh my goodness, the white parents complained, you know, revealing some, some nasty prejudice. Uh, But my friend stuck with his decision, even though he thought, well, it might cost me my job. Fast forward a couple of years, and now it just so happened that some of the most talented guys on the team were white. And so he started four white guys and one black dude. And now it was the black parents that complained. In fact, they filed a lawsuit against my friend, uh, suing him for racial discrimination. And my friend merely produced his coaching logs and it was immediately apparent that uh, he started players uh, with uh, paying no attention whatever to race and so the lawsuit was thrown out. Well, welcome to week four of a five-part series called Different Together. Different together, learning from one another's strengths. Now, each week of this series, we've been looking at another factor that tends to drive people apart. And and, and then we've been considering as we study God's word, how does God want us to be different together? How how can we gain some unity uh, in spite of these factors that drive us apart in what is becoming an increasingly angry and contentious culture, right? And so we have considered so far in the series how to be different together across generations, uh, across politics, Uh, across personalities, and today our topic is how to be different together across races. And this is a particularly difficult topic, right? And and so I'm going to be asking you, pleading with you to allow God's Spirit to stretch you, especially if you hear something that you don't like. And I'm going to ask you to be praying for me too, because I'm the messenger here, and this is an issue that I'm wrestling with in my own life, just like many of you are. Now, interestingly, racism was the first major problem in the early church. After Jesus rose from the dead, he commissioned his followers to take the good news of salvation far and wide, and then Jesus returned to heaven, and he poured out his Holy Spirit on believers, and the church was launched. And the church grew quickly. It just skyrocketed in growth, and pretty soon, thousands of people from diverse racial groups, ethnicities, were part of this church in Jerusalem, which led to a problem. The problem was racism. So I want you to turn with me. If you brought a Bible, I hope you brought a copy of God's Word with you. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts is the one book in the New Testament that records the history of the early church. Uh, written by Dr. Luke. Uh, Luke also wrote a biography of Jesus called the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a meticulous historian. So he interviewed eyewitnesses in order to uh, tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry and the history of the early church. So what we get in his history of the early church 
is, is something that is uh, totally objective. He gives us the good and the bad and the ugly, which is why in, in chapter 6 of Acts today, we're seeing some of the ugly, the racism that threatened to destroy the unity, the togetherness of these initial Christ followers. Now, quick definition here uh, before we get rolling. Okay, racism. What is racism? I'm going to go with a, uh, a standard classical definition taken from the dictionary off my bookshelf that racism is the notion that one's own race is superior to others. And, and according to this definition, racism leads to disliking, distrusting, and discriminating against people of other races. Now, the reason I want to make this defini definition clear as we begin is that you can see from the definition that anybody, regardless of their color, anybody can succumb to racism. Okay, if it's disliking and distrusting and discriminating people against, uh, 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 against people of other races, anybody can be guilty of racism, which is in contrast to critical race theory. If you're familiar with this, this is a, a popular uh, sociology uh, sort of concept today, which lays all the blame for racism at the feet of white folks because they hold the power. But again, you look at the definition and you say, well, it appears from the definition that white people can be tempted with racism, but people of color can be tempted with racism as well. This is an equal opportunity sin. Okay, just, just like any sin, whether it's sexual immorality or it's uh, greed and materialism or it's dishonesty or it's abusive speech, any one of us can be guilty of racism. Now, having said that, let me quickly add, in our culture, you know, the uh, majority race, if you belong to the, the majority race, the race that has held the reins of power for years, in other words, if you're white, I think we would have to admit it is far easier to feel superior about your race. And if you're part of the race that has been in power for years, it's easier to behave unjustly toward people of a minority race. So those of us who are white listening to me today, we're probably going to have to wrestle a little bit more with the application of the scripture than our people of color. Just saying. Just saying. So if your Bible is open to Acts chapter 6, let me read the first couple of verses of today's scripture to you. Beginning at verse 1, you could follow along and we'll have the words on the screen as well. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, disciples just means Christ followers here, when Christians were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the, the disciples together and said, we're going to stop right there in the middle of the verse, okay? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, God, for your holy word. So again, just a little bit of context here, and then we're going to jump in. We're, we're going to look at four action steps for dealing with racism. Okay, four action steps for dealing with racism, and the first is to, to utilize privilege. If you're taking notes, uh, jot that down. You could go to your electronic device and take notes as well. Utilize privilege. 
A reminder of the historical background. The church is exploding with growth. Uh, people of uh, multi-ethnic backgrounds are joining the church. A lot of the people that become Christ followers and join the church in Jerusalem are poor. And so the church has to have a, a very robust benevolence ministry. And one aspect of that benevolence ministry is a Meals for Widows program. But there seems to be a little bit of discrimination going on in the Meals for Widows program. Okay, seems to be a little bit of favoritism. The Hebraic widows are being favored and the Hellenistic widows are being overlooked. You say, oh, what's the difference, Hebraic, Hellenistic? Okay, Hebraic refers to Jewish Christ followers who had grown up in Israel. This was their home country. They're on local turf. They're in the majority. Okay, Hellenistic refers to Jewish Christ followers who had come from outside the country. They came from other ethnicities, other races. So, so the Hebraics being in the majority, and oh, by the way, all the leaders of the early church were Hebraic. Okay, they, they were locals. So you, you get the idea as to why the Hebraic widows might have been favored. They enjoyed some privilege. Now, the minute I use the word privilege, I know that some of you are thinking, oh, he's going to go to white privilege and make us all feel guilty if we're white. Well, yes, I am going to talk about white privilege for a moment, but the intent is not to make anybody feel guilty. In fact, privilege has nothing to do with guilt. Pri privilege is just a reality that we need to recognize it, it, it is. You know, for, for example, I enjoy pastor privilege at Christ Community Church. You know, as, as the lead pastor of, of, of the church, there are some privileges I have. Okay, I'm the one who gets to speak on weekends to thousands of people. You don't get to do that. Okay, when we're in leadership meetings, my input is, is given considerable weight as the senior leader. That's pastor privilege. You know, I'm the guy who gets invited along with Sue. We get invited to people's homes for, for, for dinner. Now, this is pre-COVID, of course. None of you are inviting us over these days. Yeah. It's just, you know, so is this some sign of corruption in the church, this pastor privilege that's going on? Should I feel guilty about pastor privilege? No. Okay, privilege just is. The question is, are we going to utilize it to do something good with it, or is something bad going to, going to come of it? Now, in our culture, the majority race, whites, have enjoyed a number of privileges that other races have not. My dad and I used to argue about this, okay? Occasionally, we would talk about, about racism, and, uh, you know, when the conversation got around to white privilege, uh, my dad thought that was just a, a bunch of, of hooey. And in fairness to him, let me tell you about his background, because he, he grew up very unprivileged. My, my, my dad grew up as one of six kids of poor missionaries in India. That's where my dad grew up. And when he was 11 years old, his dad died. And so my father grew up fatherless. And when he was 18 years old, he was uh, shipped back to the United States, and because World War II was in progress, he was put on a minesweeper in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And when the war was over, he had to get a job immediately. He had no opportunity to go to college. 
very unprivileged. And yet my dad went out and he started a business and the business was successful. He enjoyed a considerable amount of success as a businessman. And so when we got into this discussion, he would say to me with respect to uh, unprivileged minorities, I don't know why they can't do what I did. And I would ask him questions like this. I would say, okay, dad, now when you started your business, you probably got a bank loan. Do you think a black businessman could have gotten a bank loan like you did back then? Okay, or, 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 or dad, when you started your business, he was in the automobile insurance business. You got a lot of business. Your market was white churches. Okay, do you think a black business person would have had as expansive a market as you did? And every year there was an inspector who would come around and audit your business. Do you think a black businessman would have gotten as fair a shake from a white auditor as you did? This is back in the 50s and 60s. Now, I never convinced my dad that he enjoyed white privilege, but my dad's in heaven now, so I figured Jesus will convince him that I was right. (laughs) But here's the point I want to make. You know, many of us will experience some measure of privilege in our lifetimes. You know, if you're white, you will experience some white privilege as part of the majority race. If you're a good athlete, you may experience some athletic privilege, some notoriety, some influence because of your skills at sports. Or you may enjoy economic privilege because you make a lot of money. Or you may enjoy leadership privilege because you're in a position of, of responsibility at work. Or you may enjoy personality privilege because God has given you the kind of personality that other people just love to hang around. Okay, privilege. Privilege. It's not whether or not, you know, we we have it that we, we should feel guilty. It's what we do with it that matters. Will we use it for the good of others? Now, that's what the apostles, jumping ahead in the story, that's what they end up doing in Acts chapter 6. So the Hebraic majority race apostles in a position of leadership use that privilege to put together a program that addresses the needs of the Hellenistic widows. That's what the apostles are doing in Acts 6. They're using their privilege for the good of others. Friends, this is the example that Jesus set for us, right? Philippians chapter 2 tells us, That Jesus, even though he was God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, to be held on to. But for the sake of others, he laid aside some of his heavenly prerogatives, his, his privileges. He became a servant. He became one of us so that he could act as our representative, giving his life on the cross in payment for our sins. That's what you do with privilege. So whatever our privileges are in life, God wants us to utilize those privileges to serve others. And if one of our privileges is that we're we're white in a predominantly white culture, then let's use that privilege, let's use that influence to make sure that people of color are treated with dignity and respect. Let's be their advocates at work and at school and in our neighborhoods. 
Because we as Christ followers, we know what God's word teaches. We know that all races have been made in the image of God. We know that Jesus redeemed for himself on the, on the cross people from every race to be part of his eternal family. So let's get that message out. Let's use our, our privilege on behalf of others. You get it? Good. Number two, resist injustice. Resist injustice. Okay, there was racial tension in the early church because these Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the meals program. That was an unjust situation. Had to be remedied. So let's pick it up again at verse 2. So the 12, okay, the Hebraic majority race leaders, they gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Uh, brothers and sisters, you choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the Word. So, okay, the apostles, they come up with a game plan to make sure that this injustice was corrected. And even though the meals program was not their job, you know, they had been called to preach and, and, and to pray, they were making sure that the Hellenistic widows would be well-fed. So the early church leaders cared about racial justice. They cared about racial justice, and, and so should we. Now, I have heard some Christian leaders say today, well, you know, Justice, racial justice, social justice, it has been so twisted, this concept, by our culture today that we ought to keep our distance from it. Uh, some of those same leaders have said, you know, this emphasis today uh, on justice is diverting focus from the gospel, getting the good news of Jesus out there, and so we should stay away from this justice stuff. Really? What do we do then with over a hundred references to the importance of justice in Scripture? You know, some texts that you might be familiar with. Amos 5, verse 24, one of MLK's favorites. Let justice roll on like a river. Let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Micah 6, verse 8, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So genuine Christ followers care about justice, and they resist injustice. Now, how do we do that? Let me give you two or three suggestions here. Okay, first, you know, get educated. Get, get ed, learn, learn something about the history of racial justice, injustice in our country. Now, the minute I say that, it, it sort of raises a patriotic passion in some of our hearts. We want to rush to the defense of our country and say, this is a great country, this is the greatest country in the world, and I believe that too. But you know, even a great country can have skeletons in its closet, right? Even the great historic leaders of a great country can be guilty of some serious character flaws. 
You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that all of the heroes of the Bible, with the exception of Jesus, all the heroes of the Bible, Abraham, the father of faith, uh, King David, Israel's greatest king and the writer of half the Psalms, uh, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and the pioneer of the early church, all of these guys were guilty at some point of some heinous sin. And the Bible doesn't try to hide those sins from us. It exposes them so that we can learn from them. So we, we white Americans need to humbly acknowledge that our country, our great country, has a tragic track record when it comes to how we've treated people of color. I mean, you just name the minority. You know, blacks, 250 years of slavery two and a half centuries of slavery. And, and even after the emancipation, uh, slavery didn't really come to an end. You know, I've been learning this. I've been getting educated uh, as I've read through a thousand-page biography on Ulysses S. Grant. I'm about halfway through. I think I'll still be reading it three years from now. Uh, but Grant, as you may know, he was the general who won the Civil War and freed the slaves only they weren't so freed. I'm learning about this period of, of reconstruction after the Civil War when down in the South, if you were black, you could be thrown into, into, into jail for any sort of a petty crime, and then a white person would come along and bail you out and thus own you as an indentured servant until you could repay the bail amount. And if you were uncooperative, you would be beaten, you would be worked to death. In many cases, you were lynched. You know, I'm getting educated as I read this biography. You know, what, what do we know? What do, what do we know about years and years of separate but equal, which were separate but anything but equal? You know, what do we know about the practice of redlining that kept minorities out of certain neighborhoods? What do we know about pitiful educational opportunities? Pitiful because of where people live. See, where you live determines how good an education you're going to get. Nicer neighborhood, higher tax revenues, better schools. What do we know about these injustices? get educated. And it's not just blacks who've been subjected to injustice. I mean, we could talk about Native Americans and broken treaties, right? We could talk about Asians and World War II internment camps. We could talk about Hispanics and harsh immigration policies. You know, I, I'm not saying that every single perceived injustice has really been an injustice. I'm sure there, there have been false accusations made along the way. But friends, there is still plenty of genuine injustice for us to lament. To lament. To lament. White American Christ followers, may God give us the humility to say, we are so, so sorry. Now, some object, well, I didn't do anything to be sorry for. I never owned slaves. I never lynched anybody. I never kept black people out of my neighborhood. What do I have to be sorry for? And that sort of reasoning is understandable in our culture today because we are so highly individualized. 
But the Bible teaches corporate responsibility in certain situations. Sometimes, don't miss this, sometimes we share the guilt of the team we're part of. Okay, that's why Ezra prayed. Ezra 9, verses 6 and 7. Jot this down. Look it up sometime. Ezra 9, verses 6 and 7. Ezra prays. I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great because of our sins. We and our kings and priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity. See, Ezra was confessing the sins of his country's former people and leaders even though Ezra himself was not personally guilty of these sins. You know, because of his group identity, Ezra prayed, I am so sorry, Lord. And by the way, this is not an isolated incident in Scripture. Nehemiah does the same thing in Nehemiah chapter 1. Daniel does the same thing in Daniel chapter 9, praying for corporate sins that they as individuals were not guilty of but saying, God, forgive us. Get educated and, and then lament. Here's a second thing we could do to resist injustice. Listen to others. Okay, make friends with people of color in your neighborhood or among your, your coworkers at school, in your community group, and listen to their personal stories. Ask them for their perspective on the racial unrest in our country today. What does that feel like to you? I don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Anybody see that? Okay, it's becoming one of those viral things that everybody is watching, and it opens your eyes to how social media works. So we're talking Facebook and, and, and Instagram and Twitter and, and YouTube. They follow you. They track you. They note what it is you like, your preferences, and they continue to feed you stuff along those lines. Did you know that's how they operate? Okay, so if you think that you're getting an objective view of the news and current events, <laughs> think again. You're getting reinforced whatever it is you already believe. That's what's being sent your way. Okay, so whatever you, whatever you believe about climate change, whatever you believe about Donald Trump, whatever you believe about police brutality, whatever you believe about whatever, you're getting more of the same through social media. So how do you get out of that cul-de-sac? How do you get a different perspective, a balancing perspective? Well, unfortunately, it doesn't appear that we're doing a good job of getting that, especially when it comes to the issue of racism. And this is even true of believers, of Christ followers. Let me tell you about a survey that was done recently. They, they asked uh, Christ followers, you know, to, to what do you attribute inequalities that blacks have suffered? Okay, so, so what's the issue here? What's the problem here? Why are these inequalities out there? And by and large, white Christ followers answered by saying it's got something to do with individual responsibility, with personal behavior. 
Okay, we're talking about fatherless homes and drug addiction and dropping out of school and lack of initiative. That's why there are these inequalities. And then they ask black Christ followers, why these racial inequalities? And by and large, the answer was because of unjust systems. It's not individuals, it's systems, it's discrimination. You know, we're talking about poor school systems. We're talking about unfair practices when it comes to police detainment and arrest. We're, we're talking about discrimination in hiring. Now, interestingly, friends, the Bible, what does the Bible say the answer to that question is? The Bible makes a case for both sides. The Bible says when, when we suffer, sometimes it's due to individual behaviors on our part. Okay, bad behaviors, and sometimes it's due to the fact that the system is broken and it needs to be fixed. There's injustice there. But the reason I tell you about this survey is to make this point. You know, if we think that the answer to uh, racial disagreements amongst ourselves is just to get people saved, you know, if they surrender their lives to Christ, if white people surrender to Christ, if black people surrender to Christ, poof, all our disagreements about race go away. No, they don't. We gotta talk. We, we, we gotta listen to others' stories. And, and the listening has to go both ways. You know, this is another problem with critical race theory. That sociological concept I mentioned earlier that's so popular today because critical race theory against sees racism as exclusively the problem of white racists who hold the power. And so their answer is, if you're white, shut up and take whatever medicine you're given. Now, how many of you know that's not a great way to, to engender healthy conversation and reconciliation by telling one group of people just shut up? Okay. There's got to be listening, and the listening needs to go both ways. Yes, whites, I think, need to take a lead in listening because we've controlled the conversation for hundreds of years. And so we need to hear about the injustices. We need to listen. We need to hear about injustices, both historic and contemporary, but racism and injustice can flow both directions, so people of color need to listen as well. You know, in recent months, for example, there have been injustices perpetrated against police who are those who are good and honest. There have been injustices perpetrated against store owners who have watched their livelihoods destroyed by rioters. And we just can't sweep this away and say, well, that's collateral damage. If oppressed people get angry enough, that's the behavior you can expect. No. White people who say, this is unjust. They need to be listened to, not disparaged as racists. We need to resist injustice, whichever direction it's flowing. So get educated. Listen to others. Here's a third thing you could do. I know I'm parking on the second point of resisting injustice, but this is really important. Do something is, is my third suggestion here. In, in the midst of the rioting that followed the George Floyd killing this, this summer, I emailed a friend of mine named Bob Musikowski. 
Now, Bob's a white dude who moved to the Chicago area years ago, business guy, uh, lived in the city, and he saw uh, disadvantaged kids on the street all the time, mostly uh, kids of color. And so he started, start, started a little league uh, baseball program. It's phenomenally successful. They made a Hollywood movie out of it, uh, got Keanu Reeves to play Bob Musikowski. And as a result of the success of that baseball program, uh, Bob decided to start a school. He's a Christ follower, so started Chicago Hope Academy, a Christian school in the city that uh, educates mostly young people of color. And so when things heated up this summer with all the you know, racism and rioting and protesting going, I, you know, I got in touch with Bob because I wanted to know how's the protesting going? Are you happy that people are finally making an issue out of racial injustice? And surprisingly, Bob told me he wasn't happy about the protesting. And here's, here's what he wrote to me, and I quote, while some of the protesters want change, for the most part, it's an easy opportunity to pretend they are woke. And that's really offensive to me. Okay, protesters, who's tutoring Tyrone and Jamal next week or every Saturday for the next four years, huh? Protest line's getting a little thin now. End of quote. Now, you follow what Bob's saying here? You know, just... Resisting, if, you're, if you want to resist injustice, just protesting is not enough. Talk is cheap. You know, you got to do something. You know, tutor a child in the, in, in the inner city. If you're a Christ Community Church, just go online to our website and check out Community Impact opportunities to roll up your sleeves and get involved. You, you may want to work with Fox Valley Christian Action that ministers to inner-city kids, inner-city Aurora, inner-city Elgin. You may want to get involved in, in some of the spiritual mentoring programs at Wayside Cross. You may want to take on one hour a week. That's all it takes to work with an at-risk child in one of our grammar schools just to make connection and love on that kid through our Kids Hope program. I mean, I could go on and on. You check it out. The list is there. And it's not just a case of doing something for people of color. It's doing something with people of color. These ministries afford us the opportunity to work side by side, to be different together across races. Here's my third main point. Second was resist injustice. Third, practice inclusion. How can we be different together across races, practice inclusion? Back to Acts 6, I barely got time to mention quickly two more main points. There was a problem of racism in the early church. Minority widows weren't being well cared for, so the apostles, the majority race leaders, they utilized their privilege, they corrected the injustice, and they appointed leaders to fix the problem. And that's where we pick it up in verse 5. And as I read the next couple of verses to, to you, there's a really, really cool insight here I don't want you to miss. So pay close attention, okay? Look for that really cool insight. Okay, verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, you see the cool insight there? Well, you probably don't unless you can read Greek. 
Because <laughs> here's what the cool insight is. Okay, there's a problem. An injustice problem. The injustice is, is that the Hellenistic, the Greek widows are being overlooked in the distribution of food. So the apostles appoint a group of men, some leaders to address the problem, and every one of their names, get this, is a Hellenistic Greek name. Everyone. It's as if the apostles are bending over backwards to send a message to the minorities within their congregation, we care about you. And we're sorry you've been neglected, and that's going to stop. You're going to be included. In fact, you're going to have some minority representation in the leadership circle. What can we do if we're white Christ followers? What can we do to communicate to people of color? You not only matter to God, you matter to me. You matter to us. You know, we've been working on this as a church over the last couple years. You know, made greater effort to hire minorities making greater effort to make sure that the people who lead the services on our platform, there's some minority representation, that when we're making decisions, there's minority participation in those decisions. We're, we're encouraging you, if you're in a, in a community group, consider making your community group a little more diverse. Now, I recognize you know, Christ Community Church has been a mostly white church in mostly white communities for, for years, and so the change comes slowly, and I uh, appeal to those of you who are people of color, please be patient with us, okay? And I appeal to those of you who are white, please support the efforts that are being made to become a more diverse church. You know, one of the things I love about my men's community group Thursday morning, early morning, I get together with, uh, there are eight of us, uh, is that we are different together across races. So there are five white guys in the group, there are, are two black guys in the group, and there's one Hispanic, one Latino dude in, in the group. And so I know from week to week, as we share insights from Scripture and how we're applying them to our lives, that we're going to get a cross-section of perspectives. And even though, I mean, we don't, it's not like we talk about racial issues every week, but I know that if racial issues come up, we're going to have a cross-section of perspective presented there. And in fact, for good measure, one of our white guys is a former cop. So, you know, nobody gets to diss the cops as we talk about uh, racial issues because we got one of those representatives in our group as well, right? So let me ask you today, what about you? How could you practice greater inclusion at work? You know, how could you practice greater inclusion in your neighborhood or among your friends? How could you increase the number of minority voices in your life? Or if you're a person of color, how can you increase the number of white voices in your life? Let's practice inclusion. Here's a fourth and final point. Promote outreach. Okay, one last look at Acts 6. It's a closing verse that should bring joy to our hearts and a smile to our faces. So this is the resolution of the issue. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples, Christ followers, in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests, Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. 
Now, back in January, I preached a sermon on diversity, and I said, you know, as we become a more diverse church, it's just going to make us more uh, winsome and more attractive to outsiders. People of color are going to feel, feel more welcome here. Young people who value diversity in their friendships are going to make this their church home. Now, I've heard some pushback over the last couple of years that perhaps we're putting too much emphasis on racial matters. You know, in sermons like the one you're hearing right now, in corporate uh, times of lament, prayerful, prayerful lament, when we say sorry to God for the injustices in our culture, in videos that have given minority, uh, minorities an opportunity to say this is what it feels like to me uh, as we're hiring people of color, as I already mentioned. Uh, some have expressed concern that we might be losing sight of the gospel. That's got to be our priority. Well, let me point out that didn't happen in the early church. See, as they corrected racial injustices, as they installed more diverse leaders, the word of God spread. The, the good news about Jesus, the gospel, reached an even broader cross-section of people. That's how it works. Now listen, my friends, we are as passionate as a church, we are as passionate as we have ever been about the gospel, about getting the good news about Jesus out there. So much so that if all you care about is social justice, you're going to be disappointed at Christ Community Church when you discover that's not our top priority. Our top priority is leading people into a relationship with Christ that's going to change their here and now and their eternity. That's what we're all about. But I'll tell you what, when you embrace Christ, when you surrender to him, when the gospel begins to transform your life, you get a heart for social justice. You, you get a, a greater sensitivity to even little traces of racism in your own life. Just like you become more sensitive to other sins. You, you begin to make every effort to be different together across races. You get it? Good. Let me pray. Lord God, it's one thing to listen to a sermon on racism, and it's another thing entirely to put it into practice, what your word teaches. May we become a church like the early church that celebrated differences across racial lines, across ethnicities, God. May we continue to be a, a beacon in our culture where this is such a tense issue and there's so much anger over it. May we bring peace. May we bring a sense of love and outreach, God. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and King.